Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Sean Patrick Hazlett, editor of the new anthology, Weird World War IV. Sean is a 2017 winner of the Writers of the Future contest. More than 40 of his short stories have appeared in publications such as The Year's Best Military and Adventure SF, Year's Best Hardcore Horror, Terraform, Galaxy's Edge, Writers of the Future, Grimdark Magazine, Vesterian, and Abyss and Apex, among others. Publishers Weekly wrote about the anthology, The sheer weirdness of many of these pieces is a testament to the genre's creativity and verve. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for inviting me, Jeff. Sure. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about the new anthology, anthology that you edited, Weird World War Four. how would you describe the new anthology? So I would describe it as a series of stories covering the war after the next war. And by the next war, I mean World War Three, which there was a predecessor anthology. This is actually the second anthology in a series, which was called Weird World War Three, And that anthology was about um, it was released in 2020, and it was about a hypothetical war with between the United States and the Soviet Union, um, which you know sometimes uh, you know fiction, uh, you know uh, fact is stranger than fiction because it was almost predictive. But this particular anthology, Weird World War Four, is about the war after the next war with a twist, and that twist is that each of the stories not only had to do some world building as to what the that you know world weird world, world war 4 would look like it also each of the stories also had to have that weird element and when i say a weird element think of stephen king meets tom clancy those are the kinds of stories that are in this particular anthology now the world war 3 that was envisioned it doesn't have to be um as specific as it was in the predecessor anthology, i.e. it doesn't necessarily, it need not have been between the United States and Soviet Union. It could have been between the United States and China. It could have been uh, with a, an alien species. It could have been with, with literally anything. And in doing so, and it, you kind of subtly, you somewhat constrain what the authors can write about, but it almost unlocks even more creativity when you look at the stories. Um, because the range here is massive. Well, do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to edit Weird World War Four? Uh, in terms of you know how I came up with the theme, or or yeah, sure. uh, just why the series. I mean, you, in you mentioned you mentioned the earlier um, anthology. I was just curious. Did you know going into that one that you wanted to do a fourth one, or? Well, work? I actually going into that one, um, if it was successful and it was, and and still is, I wanted to do a series. Uh, I want the next ones that I wanted to go to were actually uh, Weird World War One and Weird World War Two, uh, <laughs> and then my editor or my publisher, you know, recommended that you know I think they they felt that those um, two areas like that ground had been tread a little bit too much and you know i think to some extent they're they're probably right about that i still want to do i still want to do both of them but uh 
they recommended, well, how about like a weird World War Four instead? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And then what I did is I started out with Einstein's famous quote, right? Like, I don't, I don't know what the weapons of uh, the Third World War will be fought with, but the Fourth World War would be, will be fought with rocks, right? Or so, something to that effect. Sure. And what I, what I wanted with this one is I, I didn't want all post-apocalyptic stories. I have some, but I also encourage the writers to, you know, you know, potentially treat it as a conventional um, conflict as well, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, World War Three, And then as they go into this kind of World War Four, you know, it, it gives them a lot more latitude as to what the possibilities are. So let's say, you know, there's some stories in there where there was a conventional World War Three, and then, you know, aliens come out of a dimensional pocket and, you know, obliterate the human race and, and you know, the human race is trying to recover from that. And there are other stories that go the straight uh, apocalyptic route. Uh, one story by uh, horror, horror and uh, noir writer Laird Barron take the perspective of a hyper-intelligent cybernetic war dog or war like kind of canine. And it's written from the perspective of a canine so you're reading something that um envisions you know it's, it's non-human i mean it's it's really like he really does a fantastic job of creating a hyper intelligent uh non-human you know canine and it is you know a very fantastic and otherworldly surreal kind of story in the kind of the, like two you know several thousand years in the far future so there's definitely a, a wide variety. John Langan, for example, another uh, horror writer, Brad, Bram Stoker, when they horror writer, um, he 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 does something like extremely experimental. So he has um, a, a post-apocalyptic story, which is a play. It's like a po- it's like a post-apocalyptic Arthurian, um, post-apocalyptic play. So there's a lot of range in this one. That's great. Well. As I mentioned in the intro, you've had 40 or so short stories yourself published. What was your initial writing journey that led you to getting your very first short story published? So I just started writing a short story a month and getting, you know, and submitting and getting rejected and submitting and getting rejected. Uh, you know, if you're in this field, you, you need to have rhino skin. Because you're going to get rejected more times than, I mean, you can still count, but I would say I probably have on the order of, um, I should admit this publicly, but people need to know because a lot of people have their first story rejected and they quit and they shouldn't, but you know, if you keep trying, you will, you will be successful. But I have over 2000 rejections, short story rejections, and you just keep writing and you keep getting better. And the one thing that really helped buoy my resolve in in submitting was this contest called the L. Ron Hubbard's Writers of the Future contest. And it is a contest for amateurs. You can't be, you can't have been professionally published. And, and I think there's um, very more specific requirements. It might be you can't have, you can't have had like three professional short story sales by then, but you know, by the time you win or something like that, or by the time you submit. But what that contest is, is anybody can enter it. It is 100% anonymous. 
So, you know, your skin color doesn't matter. Um, your who you know doesn't matter. Uh, you know, who you're friends with doesn't matter. If you're a famous person or not, doesn't matter. All that matters is the quality of your story. And if you, uh, you know, it's offered once a quarter and there are three winners each quarter, you know, first, second, third place. And then at the end of the, you know, at the end of that particular submission year, there are 12 winners and then sometimes one or two finalists as well, the people whose stories were good enough to make the anthology, but not good enough to, to win the contest. Or, you know, most of these stories are good enough to win the contest because there's a lot of, um, when you get to the, uh, the, the top of the, the slush pile, there are, you know, very minor things can make the difference. But at the end of the day, there's about uh, 12, 12 to 14 um, people who are in this, you know, anthology and you get a full exp um, expensed trip to Los to Hollywood. Um, there's a, an award ceremony and it's probably the fanciest award ceremony that you'll see in the science fiction, fantasy and horror genre. Um, and, uh, you know, you get, you not only get a, a check for your story and then the trip, but you also, you know, get another check to, uh, buy your story. So it goes, it, it goes into the anthology. And then that anthology, um, you know, is, is marketed around the world and it really puts your name on the map. Um, you know, it's a, it's a tremendous opportunity. So I entered that contest. I probably, it took me maybe 17 submissions before I was actually able to win. And then along the way, the one, the other thing that the contest does is it, it gives you a lot of encouragement. So even if you don't win, you can get something called an honorable mention or a, um, silver honorable mention or semi-finalist or finalist and finalists don't always win, but you know, I think there's, you know, I think eight, eight to 10 finalists. I'd have to let, you know, look at my notes, but um, about three of those finalists win each, each quarter. And then, you know, some might be eligible to have their, their story published in the anthology. So by entering that contest every single quarter, uh, not only did I make sure that I had a high quality story to submit, but I also was able to get the feedback that I needed to really press on when, you know, the writing life is a life of constant rejection and you can't take it personally. There's just, you know, there, if you look at it in business terms, there's very low barriers to entry. Anybody has, you know, everybody has a word processor. If they have a laptop, they have, you know, the chances are they have a word processor. They can write and they can submit. And, you know, about 80 to 90% of those submissions are just absolute, absolutely terrible. But even though that last 10% is, it's a really tough gig. Even if your stories are in the top 10%, there's, there are uh, magazines and anthologies that only accept, you know, 0.5 to 1%. So even if you get into that top 20, you have a one in 10 to one in 20 chance of, you know, selling a story to these, to, to, you know, many of these anthologies. And then you're also competing with professional authors who are well-known and have name recognition. And when you're as an editor myself, right. I, you know, if, if you have a big name author, sometimes, um, you know, it is better to have 
that big name author than to have a a a, a well written and competent story. Not an not not an amazing story, but a well written and competent story from um. Well, let me step back. It's better to have a well-written competent story from a mega author than it is to have a well-written and competent story from, from an unknown, right? So that, that factor is always going to um, be in the background when you're submitting stories, as it should be, right? Because at the end of the day, as an editor or a publisher, you want to you know, you be able to sell anthologies. And those, you know, a big name is going to encourage people to buy. And then a good story from an unknown will, you know, make the, make, make the buyer after they made that purchase decision, feel better about that decision to purchase. And, you know, that's just, that's kind of how the cycle, how the cycle works. So, so I know it's a long and meandering story, but that's, that's how I got into the writing business. <laughs> sure. Well, how can someone submit to the writers of the future contest or learn more about it if they're interested? So just Google Writers of the Future Contest or L. Ron Hubbard's Writers of the Future Contest. And there is a website that has all of the, the rules on it. Better yet, or even better, if you go out and buy the latest anthology, I think they're up to volume 38. My story was published in volume 33 in 2017. But if you buy a copy of the anthology, um, the rules are typically published in the, in the back of the book. And and I actually encourage probably better to do that. You can also get it on Kindle, so you can get it right away. I encourage you to do that um, instead of just kind of going to the to the website because it'll also help you get a better feel for what sorts of stories place in the anthology. Uh, and that's also what I did. So I encourage people to do that. I I bought a bunch of prior copies of, and if you don't want to buy it, just go to your library. Right, the library carries them too. Um, sure. But, uh, you know, go through previous stories and just see what sorts of stories won, which, what kinds of stories were successful. And as you read there, you know, there'll be some, th- some things that you're, that, that are just not your forte, but there'll be other things that you absolutely enjoy. And it'll just kind of give you a sense for what, what wins and, and, um, it won't give you a sense for what doesn't cause you won't see any of those, but sure. it'll give you a sense for what, what you know, what is good and what isn't. So what was the editing process like for you for the anthology? Did you solicit all the contributors or did you have an open call for manuscripts? So as, as an untested editor, so, so Weird World War III was my uh, first professionally published uh, anthology and book. So for the, you know, the first two times around, I definitely invited specific authors. And the way that I thought about doing that was, you know, I touched on it a little bit earlier. Um, you know, my first anthology, people aren't going to buy it because my name's on it. Cause nobody knows, you know, nobody, nobody knew who I was, right. They have no idea. So I, you know, I needed to get authors whose work I really enjoyed, but who also could draw people to the anthology. So, um, you know, there are a number, I, I probably, I'm probably not going to say them specifically because I don't want to, um, you know, char- char- characterize authors in certain ways, but there are, um, you know, New York times bestselling authors that I recruited and look, not everybody said yes. Right. I, I'm a, you sure. know, and, and the other thing too, is I reached out to them 
before the publisher agreed to to underwrite the anthology. And the reason I did that was, you know, it's and I would be very straightforward. Like, look, I'm 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 thinking about pitching this anthology to this specific publisher. Here's here's what the anthology will look like. There are no guarantees, but if I get a green light on this, would you be willing to submit a story? And then once I got enough authors that would command enough of a, a market to justify the cost of the anthology, then I put together a pitch, sent it to the publisher, and and then and then, you know, to my to my surprise, um, it was greenlit. Now to be hundred percent transparent, um, Weird World War Three, going back to the first one, um, was not the first anthology I pitched. So generally, when I pitch anthologies, I make sure I have kind of one or two or three other an- pitches ready so that if I get a rejection, I just go back with, all right, well, okay, I understand that didn't work. How about this? Um, even, even with Weird World War Four, that particular anthology, um, you know, that I, I, I never pitched it, right? I pitched Weird World War One and Weird World War Three, or sorry, Weird World War One and Weird World War Two. And uh, this, you know, th- this idea was actually suggested from the, you know, from from the um, from the publisher. And you know, I definitely thought it would be an intriguing premise, and and uh, you know, agreed agreed to to do it. But in terms of producing the rest of the anthology, after you invite the authors, then you know, it's very important to kind of firmly establish what the timelines are, because writers. Um, and I, I, I'm going to try to say this politely, but I'm just going to be a little, I'll probably just be blunt about it, um, are not generally business people and, you know, creative people. And, and, and I'm a creative person, right? Um, but I, I'm kind of a creative person that, that, is, uh, that straddles kind of both the business, the, the commercial side and the creative side. And, you know, a, a bit of it can be kind of tied back to my, you know, original not original, but um, educational background, right? So, um, if you look at my bio, I I um, have two degree, two undergraduate degrees. One's in electrical engineering, and the other's in history, right? So I'm kind of able to straddle that world. But many writers, I would say, you know, in any given anthology, thirty to forty percent don't turn their stories in on time. So you have to just plan for that, and you have to establish a timeline such that you get yeah you get your you get your stories in time that you're able to process it. So I will build in, um, typically build in some buffer time, and and frankly, it also makes it easier to reject people, right? So if somebody is is late, not only late but egregiously late, and you have to, um, you know, find another writer in a short period of time who who just frankly it's not fair to them that they have to um, produce a story very quickly. But if if that if that happens, and then you know you finish your anthology, and then somebody turns in their story months later, you, it's easy for you to say, "I'm sorry, like this was due three months ago." Um, I, you know that said, it's also important to tell them in advance once you've closed the anthology, so they don't, you know, if they haven't even started the story yet, they don't start writing, sure. right? But at least puts you in a position that you can be objective, and and people don't feel don't get their feelings hurt, right? Because again. Sure. Um, as you know, creative types can also be very sensitive. Business types are yeah. not very sensitive. 
<laughs> right? <laughs> you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Well, do you have any other anthologies that you're currently editing? I am. So I'm working on an anthology called Weird World War III China. So it is very similar to Weird World War III, uh, the original. This one is just envisions... um, what would a future conventional war look like between the United States and China? So I, I got to be careful with these things, though, because when I put them together, a year, you know, two years later, a war starts. So, uh, well, I'm curious when you sit down to work on a short story, do you usually know the plot ahead of time, or do you just have an image or character and start writing? How does that work for you? I am a plotter. I am the worst pantser in the world. I probably have 35 stories, unfinished stories in my, um, you know, file folders that started out as, as, as pants, you know, pantser stories. I just, I, I may have been able to write one or two that way, but I am much better off if I kind of have an image, have an idea, and then I write a very basic outline, even for short stories. There'll be some people who say short stories are too short to write an outline. I need an outline to write short stories. Um, because I'll just get stuck. I'll start writing and I'll be like, what? Like, I don't even know where this thing's going. What I, 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 and it just gets, and then it just, and I'll step away from it and then I'll come back and then the tone and mood will be completely different. So like I, I need, I need guardrails and the same is true for novels. So I started a novel back in, uh, December and I wrote a 10,000 word outline. And now it's, you know, the the first stage of it is paint by numbers, right? I just follow. Now, that's not the ideal way to write, but it is a good way to write a first draft because you have to tell yourself it's it's all going to be the first first draft is going to be complete and utter crap anyway, but just get it on paper and then you can shape it and, 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 um, and mold it like a, and sculpt it basically over time to make it you know, to improve it and to fix all the issues you had in the first draft. But if you don't put it on paper first, you'll never finish it. Is that the first novel you've written? Oh no, it'll be the, it'll be the third. Um, the third one, the first one, I, um, just never was never able to sell. And I, and I didn't, I didn't self publish it. I think, I think it's publishable. It got pretty far, um, with a particular publisher. Uh, you know, they were, I think they had it for, almost two years. Like they were seriously considering it and they ultimately didn't, didn't buy it. However, I think, I think if I have a more successful novel in the future or a successful novel in the future, um, I, I think that one would easily be publishable after that, 
that comes out. Now I could self-publish it, but I'm not. Um, I'm just going to wait until I have something um, that people, you know, the marketplace validates and wants to buy. And then, and then that's just a quick release. If people are, you know, publishers are demanding more from you, like, please get us something really fast. I'm like, oh yeah, I got this thing right here. And then I wrote another novel um, that I just, I don't, I don't feel it's quite good enough yet to submit to anybody. Um, and it just needs, it needs, it needs a lot more polish. And that's something I'll return to if people are demanding more content from me in a pinch. So, um, you know, the first one is, uh, like a science fiction, um, novel about world war two. The second one is a occult detective noir novel set in Oakland, uh, called flatland. So, you know, I'll get back. I'll get back to those. The current one I'm working on, I'm about halfway through, and that's just because I haven't, you know, the last two months or so, I haven't had a ton of time to go back to it. But I quickly, you know, wrote half a novel to, uh, you know, one or two months, and that was all because I wrote that ten thousand word outline. Sure. Well, what writing advice would you offer for listeners who may be working on their own short stories or novels? So. To be successful, you must write, um, you know, put your butt in a seat and write. You don't necessarily need to do it every day, but you need to, you need to establish some sort of goal. So, you know, one short story a month or one, you know, one chapter a month, two chapters a month, just something. You don't always have to hit that goal. And also, you know, you shouldn't make the goal so um, impossible that you're discouraged and, and you just, you, you stop. The second piece of advice I, I would give is that, you know, if you write, you have to submit. Don't keep polishing and polishing and polishing and polishing. If the world doesn't see it, you'll never sell it. The third piece of advice is make it a game. And, you know, other, and when I say make it a game, this is in the kind of the submit it, sub, submitting process. You're going to get rejected. So just, you know, as soon as it comes back in, send it out to the next market right away. Just don't even think about it. Um, you know, another, another game that, you know, I, that, uh, I'm not saying I do this, um, but there's, there's a weird, like the publishing industry in many ways is, is, is still extremely archaic. So one, one thing that publishers will do is that they'll have something called no simultaneous submissions, which means that if I, if I send you a story, I can't submit it to anybody else. Okay. And this is particular for short stories. Novels, I think it's a little bit, a little bit different. But what that does is if you have a, if you have a 1% chance or a 0.5% chance of selling a story to a market, that story is just sitting out there for three months and then gets a rejection, like a form rejection. So you know, one game you could play is, is, is called submission roulette. And in submission roulette is you look at the probabilities, right? If you're a math, math guy, like I am, you look at, you know, what's the probability that both, both these, um, publishers will accept my story. And generally it's, you know, if, if the probability that one accepts it and you assume they're independent, right? It's, you know, if it's 0.5% for, for both, for each one, then ch you know, chances are that it's far lower than that 
that you know then that both works up. I don't I don't encourage anybody to do this. I'm just saying if you want to have a little <laughs> bit of fun and you've been doing it for a while, right? And you kind of know that you know, look, I've submitted this to this market 60 times, and every time is a form of rejection. Then submission roulette can be fun, right? Just don't just, do it for your anthologies, right? Oh no, no, no! I don't, I don't do it. No, no. I, I, I know. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> and the other thing is, never do it. Never do it to a market where you have a relationship. So yeah, if you no, sold I'm, I'm, a story, yeah. If you sold a story to a market where you have, but you know, there are some that, like, you know, I'm not saying I do this. I'm just saying it softens the blow of rejection. Sure. Because you're, well, you're actually, you're actually hoping that you don't, you know, that you don't get accepted, that, 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 you know, part of it is hoping you don't get accepted to something. So it's like good sometimes. <laughs> okay, good. The first one, first one rejected but the story. So, you know, if the other one accepts, it's fine. That's great. Well, what anthologies or short stories have you read recently that you enjoyed beyond your own uh, anthology? So I, I like enjoy, I enjoy, um, Ellen Datlow's, uh, year's best horror. Um, you know, I, I, I really enjoy, you know, th those sorts of, um, stories. There's a, there's, a, there's another anthology called under twin sons, which is an anthology about, um, you know, Robert, uh, chambers, who is a, uh, another weird author. That's like the whole, uh, if you've ever seen. True, de True Detective, the the first season where they talk about you know Carcosa and the Yellow King and things like that. Um, it is a a really creepy um, kind of world where there's a play that people go to and it drives them mad. So you know, so, sort of stuff like that. So there's an anthology based on that um, you know, that world called Under Twin Suns that I that I really enjoyed. Um, anything by, uh, Laird Barron. So there's, um, uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of, uh, I think he has four anthologies out right now. There's one that's called Swift to Chase. Um, uh, there's uh, one called, I think, uh, Occultation. Um, there, there's four. I mean, you can, you, you can look it up, but I really enjoy sure. His his anthologies, um, there's there's a, a, another uh, not anthologies but collection. It's a collection from him, um, and then there's one by John Langan. Um, why am I why am I uh, blanking? There, there's several by, collections by John Langan that uh, you could check out. Children of the of the Fang and other stories. That's the one I was thinking of. Um, is excellent. I definitely you know I highly recommend um, you know, that particular anthology. Um, and there's also, there's also another anthology that's coming out in June, um, that I have a story in, uh, but the, you know, the other stories in there are, are excellent called Robo Soldiers. And it is an anthology about the future of warfare, um, that folk, you know, focused on artificial intelligence and, um, robotics and, and most of the stories there are written by former military officers or intelligence officers. So again, I would highly, I would highly recommend that. That's great. Well, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned that anthology that you'll have a story in, and you mentioned the anthology that you're currently working on next, which is world war world war 
three China or Weird World War Three China. Um, I'm curious, do you have any other short stories scheduled for publication? I do. There's another one in in an anthology that will come out in December called uh, Worlds Long Lost, and it is a an anthology about um, like Xeno archaeological finds and expeditions. So imagine, you know, if you think about uh, stories by H.P. Lovecraft, like in the Mountains of Madness, right, where they where the where there's a, a small team goes down to Antarctica for an archaeological dig, and they find this vast city um, uh, with you know these massive cyclopean uh, blocks and you know the usual Lovecraftian language, non-Euclidean geometries. And they find, you know, they stumble upon an, uh, a vast ancient civilization, far, you know, that that um, that you know came before, long before humanity, and and then people start disappearing, right? So, like story that that particular anthology is inspired by stories like that, and I have a um, story in it called "They Only Dig at Night." And it is a uh, a bit of a horror story. That sounds great. Look forward to reading that. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your anthologies and the stories that you've published? So in terms of where to find me, you can find me at my uh, WordPress website at seanpatrickhazlett.com. Um, you can also find... I also encourage folks to check out my YouTube channel, which, uh, you know, I cover a bit of writing, a bit of uh, geopolitics. And then I uh, look at the intersection of, uh, you know, the military and uh, the paranormal. So I look at, um, you know, uh, historical programs that the U.S. government ran, particularly intelligence programs that made use of remote viewing, things like that. But um, I, you know, I have a YouTube channel that focuses on that. So I interview a lot of authors um, as well as uh, historians and um, uh, people who are in the int intelligence space, things like that. Um, that website or, or that YouTube channel is called Through a Glass Darkly with Sean. So I highly encourage people to check that out. You can also check out, find me on Twitter at Sean P. Hazlett. And then I'm also on Facebook, um, Instagram, MeWe, uh, Patreon, and LinkedIn, and a number of other uh, social media sites. In terms of where to find Weird World War uh, Three and Four, uh, you could find them on my um, you know, website. You could find them on my YouTube channel. So in the description of any any particular episode, you can click uh, click directly on the links. Um, or you can, you know, if you go to Walmart, uh, Target, Barnes and Noble, any place books are sold and you should be able to find, um, either, either anthology. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Sean Patrick Hazlett, editor of the new short story anthology, Weird World War Four. You can go buy a copy of the anthology today. And if you're a short story writer, check out the writers of the future contest today and submit a story. And Sean, thanks for doing this interview. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me, Jeff. Absolutely. That was great. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. 
Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.